All right, well, I'm going to start a new series this week that I'm really excited about, uh, and we're going to be going through uh, the book of uh, First Thessalonians. It's not really a book, it's more of a letter uh, that Paul wrote to this church in a city called Thessalonica. Everybody say Thessalonica. That's just a fun word. So anyway, it's, it's a city that was in, in the country of Greece, and, um, and it's just a, this letter, I love this letter so much because... This is a church, you know, a lot of times in Paul's letters, you get Paul uh, kind of miffed at the people that he's writing to, you know, and this, this one is a, is a church that, man, he, I mean, not that he didn't love the other churches, but he had fond, has fond memories and great encouragement uh, for this church and just loves this congregation so much. Unfortunately, he didn't get to spend a lot of time with them because of some persecution that was going on. Uh, but anyway, it's, it's just a, a great thing. Today we're going to be, as we dive into this, this little letter, we're going to be talking about the concept of evangelism. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear the word evangelism or evangelist, it immediately, immediately it's, such, it's become such a dirty word in our society, like evangelists and evangelism. Uh, and, and, and let's just be honest, can we as Christians be honest today and just go, uh, it, it, it's deserved that it's become kind of a dirty word because, I mean, if you're a child of the 80s, you know, you grew up with all the TV evangelist scandals and all of that kind of stuff. And I, in fact, we, Jamie and I watched a recap of the, of the whole Baker saga the other night that was on TV. And, and uh, it's just, and, and, and that kind of stuff, it gets, it just gets disgusting. It's icky. It's disgusting. It's just like, ah, you know, why, why do people have to do this? Why do they, you know, but there are, there, you know, they're, they're for as long as they're, in fact, it's, it goes all the way back to scripture. You go all the way back to scripture, the book of Acts, there was a guy in the book of Acts trying to make money off the gospel, right? And so like that, that, that's always, anytime God shows up and demonstrates him, his power, there will be uh, wicked people that also show up trying to figure out how they can make a buck off that. Which is, that's just, isn't that twisted? Isn't that just, that's so twisted. But, but so, yeah, I, I remember, like, my, my association to the word evangelist or evangelism uh, kind of comes from my kid, grow, my, my childhood growing up in uh, rural Oklahoma, where uh, these kind of small churches, every church uh, once or twice a year would have a week-long revival. And I don't know if you know what that, that is. Some people, if you were Southern Baptist, they call them crusades. Uh, or whatever, you know, which, which, who came up with that marketing strategy is beyond me, right? Uh, anyway, so, <laughs> anyway, so, but we would have these revivals, and it was just, it was just a week, you know, Sunday through Saturday of, you'd bring some special guy in to, to preach, and in our church, we'd bring every, every night, there'd be a different music group that was leading the music, and, and it was very down-homey country, you know, feeling that sort of thing, and I, I always hated them, because inevitably revivals fell during basketball season and my dad made me miss my basketball games to go to the revival, which I hated because even though I was a starter on the basketball team, I was a marginal starter. And I just knew it just one kid had to have a great performance to bump me off my starting position, right? You know, and so, so I, I do not have a good feeling about revivals. But, uh, but anyway, so but, but the, the, the evangelist that they would bring in would be a guy typically, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paint a pretty negative light here, and so forgive me because this is just my perception. I'm sure these guys were good guys and 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 love the Lord and all that. But my perception as a kid, kind of watching that, was they just came across as a little bit fake. Like uh, they they had 
you know, they, they probably preached the same five or six sermons every town they went to, and so they had it down to a, you know, mastered down to a science, and it was just a little fake. It was a little bit, you know, a lot of corny jokes and a lot of, um, um, a lot of shouting. There was a lot of yelling. Uh, it, it, the louder he would shout, the more amens he would get, so he was just shout, 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 shout. And it was just all this kind of, and then also a lot of hateful speech too. You know, uh, if you if you kind of dial into, we see this kind of in our political climate nowadays too. But if you dial into people's biggest fears, you get the biggest response. And and so it was a lot of that kind of stuff going on. And I, I can just remember, you know, as a kid watching the, that, going, ah, oh. I don't know. There was just something that just felt off about it, right? And I and I again, my perception, uh, you know, again, they could have been just beautiful guys and and everything, but that was just my perception as a kid, right? And so, like, I think for most of us, and now maybe your association with evangelists or evangelism is some guy on a street corner in the city screaming at people, telling them they're going to go to hell with a megaphone or, or you know, a microphone and a guitar amp or, you know, whatever, and and uh, just, you know, or, or somebody with, you know, picket signs or, or, or whatever, I don't know, but what, whatever your perception is, it, it, it's, it's something that I think we have to kind of deal with and, and recognize, this is, this is important, we have to recognize that however you feel about that word, the Bible calls us to evangelism, which is just plain and simple, sharing your faith with people, sharing the hope that lives in you with the people that are around you. It doesn't have to be hateful. It doesn't have to be loud. It doesn't have to be. Now it can be. I mean, if you if that's your if that's your track, go for it. See how that works for you. But but it, it like it it doesn't have to be. It's just the simple act, which I think most of us who are Christ followers in this room probably at some point or another, with your friends or your family or your coworkers, have engaged in the action of just sharing your faith with somebody in your life. Um, it, maybe it was low key. Maybe you felt, man, super impressed by the Holy Spirit. Like this, this is urgent for some reason. I really got to talk to this person, and you were nervous about it, or you know, wh- whatever. But what, what, whatever that looks like, maybe it was simple. It's as simple as you, you know, on a Monday morning at work, going as everybody's talking about what they did this last weekend. You kind of going, man, church was amazing. You guys got to come check out my church, and and you, you know, you kind of introduce them in in that way or whatever. But Whatever it is, we're called to be a people who share our faith. Now, there's a lot, speaking of fear talk, let me, let me hit you with a little bit. Um, like, there's a lot of talk nowadays about how our religious freedoms are being impinged upon and, and, um, and how some of that's starting to go away. And I think most of us can kind of look at the status of our society and go, okay, I can see, see a little evidence of that. Some of us are a little more you know, heightened and afraid about what's going on than others. But I think most of us can kind of look around and go, yeah, things have definitely changed. Things have definitely changed. Like the, our society here in America doesn't look upon uh, our faith as kindly as it once did. And, and, and so we got to deal with the reality of that. I, think, I don't think we're going to see a day... Um, in, in the near future, and maybe not even the far future, I don't know. I don't think we're going to see a day where our faith becomes uh, outlawed, where we're underground and things like that. What I think we will see, which is what, we, what I see in a lot of other countries that we go visit on mission trips, is that you can be a Christian, you just can't tell anybody about it. You can be a Christian, you just can't share your faith with people and try to convince other people to be a Christian. Leave everybody alone, you do your thing, let them do their thing, and if you are caught sharing your faith then you could be in legal trouble. We see that in a lot of countries that we visit around the world. 
I think that's potentially coming our way if things keep progressing in the direction that they're progressing. And so I think those are some things to be aware of, but, but we have to, we're called to, like to take evangelism, or let's just call it faith sharing, to take faith sharing out of our faith is to seriously erode a huge part of our faith. Like it is a major part of our faith to just simply share our faith with people around us. And you can't get away from that. And so I want to talk, uh, kind of use this uh, uh, passage that we're going to read today. We're going to read the first 10 verses of, this, of chapter 1. And we're going to, I want to look at the kind of faith sharing the church in Thessalonica did uh, some 2,000 years ago and how effective it was. Now, uh, before we get into the scripture, I wanna, I wanna, we're going to play one of those Bible project videos that kind of gives us an outline of what this book is going to be about. I love these videos. If you haven't been turned on to the Bible project, you can find all those videos on YouTube, or you can find them at thebibleproject.com. I've been reading in my like, personal devotion time the, um, the Read Scripture app. If you don't have the Read Scripture app, go download the Read Scripture app, because it is the Bible Project, and, and you read you know four or five chapters a day, or three or four, four, four or five, something like that, chapters a day, and then every couple of days, you, they also inject one of their videos into it that really just opens it up and explains it. I've, been found, I've found it really fulfilling. So I love these guys. These guys that do these videos are, are spot on in their theology, and I appreciate the work that they're doing. So check out what First Thessalonians is about. Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. This is most likely the earliest letter that we have from Paul, and the backstory for it is found in the book of Acts. It's where Paul and his co-worker Silas went to the ancient Greek city of Thessalonica. And after just one month of telling people the good news about Jesus, a large number of Jewish and Greek people gave their allegiance to Jesus, and they formed the first church community there. But trouble was brewing. Paul's announcement of the risen Jesus as the true Lord of the world, it led to suspicion. So the Christians in Thessalonica were eventually accused of defying Caesar, the Roman emperor, when they said that there is another king, Jesus. And this led to a persecution that got so intense, Paul and Silas actually had to flee from the city. And this was painful for them because they loved the people there so much. And so this letter is Paul's attempt to reconnect with the Christians in Thessalonica after he got a report from Timothy that they were doing more than okay, they were flourishing despite this intense persecution. He designed the letter to have two main movements. First is a celebration of their faithfulness to Jesus, and then he challenges them to keep growing as followers of Jesus. And then these two movements are surrounded by three prayers. The letter opens with a thanksgiving prayer. The two movements are linked together by a transitional prayer, and then the whole thing is concluded with a final prayer. It's a beautiful design. Paul opens by giving thanks and celebrating the Thessalonians' faith, their love for others, and their hope in Jesus despite persecution. He goes on to retell the story of their conversion, how they used to be idolatrous polytheists, and they were living in a culture where all of life was permeated by institutions and practices that honored the Greek and Roman gods. And Paul talks about how they turned away from those idols to serve the living and true God, and that they're now waiting for the coming of God's Son from heaven. So in a city like Thessalonica, transferring your allegiance to the creator God of Israel and to King Jesus, this came at a cost. Isolation from your neighbors, hostility from your family. But for the Thessalonians, the overwhelming love of Jesus who died for them and the hope of his return, it made it all worth it. 
Paul then retells the story of his mission in Thessalonica and of the dear friendships he formed with the people. He uses really intimate metaphors here. They treated him like their child, and he became like their mother and like their father. He says, we were happy to share with you not only the good news from God, but our very selves, because we came to dearly love you. Paul reminds us here that the essence of Christian leadership is not about power and having influence. It's about healthy relationships and humble, loving service. He reminds them that he never asked for money. He simply came to love and serve them in the name of Jesus. And so Paul moves on to reflect on their common persecution. Just like Jesus was rejected and killed by his own people, so now Paul is persecuted by his fellow Jews, and the Thessalonians are facing hostility from their Greek neighbors. And Paul draws a strange comfort from knowing that together their sufferings are a way of participating in the story of Jesus' own life and death. Paul then shares about the anguish he experienced when he heard of the hardships the Thessalonians had after he and Silas fled. So he sent Timothy to support them and see how they were doing. And to his joy, Timothy discovered that they were going strong. They were faithful to Jesus. They were full of love for God and their neighbors. And they longed to see Paul as much as he longed to see them. And so Paul concludes with a prayer for endurance. And what's cool is that he introduces here the topics he's going to address in the letter's second half. He prays that God will grow their capacity to love, that he'll strengthen their commitment to holiness as they fix their hope on the return of King Jesus. So he opens the letter's second movement by challenging them to a life that's consistent with the teachings of Jesus. So this means, first of all, a serious commitment to holiness and sexual purity. In contrast to the promiscuous, sexually destructive culture around them, they are to follow Jesus' teaching about experiencing the beauty and the power of sex within the haven of a committed marriage covenant relationship. God takes sexual misbehavior seriously, Paul says. It dishonors and destroys people and their dignity. Following Jesus also means a commitment to loving and serving others. So Paul instructs them that Christians should be known in the city as reliable people who work really hard, not just to make money, but so that they can have resources to provide for themselves and to generously share with people who are in need. After this, Paul addresses a number of questions the Thessalonians had raised about the future hope of Jesus' return. So some Christians in the church had recently died, most likely killed as martyrs, and their friends and family are wondering about their fate when Jesus returns. And so Paul makes it clear that despite their grief and loss, not even death can separate Christians from the love of Jesus. When he returns as king, he will call both the living and the dead to himself. And Paul uses a really cool image here. He uses language that would normally describe how a city subject to the Roman Caesar would send out a delegation to welcome or meet his arrival. Paul then applies this imagery to the arrival of King Jesus. He too will be greeted by a delegation of his people who will go to meet the Lord in the air as they welcome and escort him back to this world where he'll establish his kingdom of justice and peace. Paul then wants the Thessalonians to see how this hope should motivate faithfulness to Jesus. So he pokes fun at the famous Roman propaganda that it's Caesar who brings peace and security. Of course, Rome's peace came through violence, through enslaving their enemies and military occupation. And Paul warns that Jesus will return as king one day and confront this kind of injustice. 
Followers of King Jesus should live in the present as if that future day is already here. Despite the nighttime of human evil around them, they should stay sober and awake as the light of God's kingdom dawns here on earth as it is in heaven. Paul closes all of these exhortations like he began with a hopeful prayer that God would permeate their lives with his holiness, that he would set them apart to be completely devoted and blameless until the return of King Jesus. First Thessalonians reminds us that from the very beginning, following Jesus as king has produced a truly countercultural or holy way of life. And this will sometimes generate suspicion and conflict among our neighbors. But the response of Jesus' followers to such hostility should always be love, meeting opposition with grace and generosity. And this way of life, it's motivated by hope in the coming kingdom of Jesus that has already begun in his resurrection from the dead. And so holiness, love, and future hope, that's what First Thessalonians is all about. All right. So I love those videos. Uh, sorry about that. Full of spoilers. I forgot about that. Um, so I don't even need to preach the series now, do I? Um, no, good stuff. So what I want to focus today on is just those first 10 verses. And, and, um, and so let's just kind of dive in. Let's just go ahead and dive in. First Thessalonians, start with chapter 1. It starts off like this. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you. And peace. So it's a letter that starts off like a lot of Paul's letters do. Verse 2 goes, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. I want to stop right there for just a second. And uh, I, I love the way that Paul starts off this little letter because, like I said, this is a church. Now, now, as the video talked about there, this is a little church that Paul and his, his companions went to, to plant. They get there. They start planting the church. They'd only been there not very long, probably a handful of months, when um, the Jews that were also in the area began to, the Jews always were causing problems for the Christians uh, in these churches. Now, that's not some sort of anti-Semitic statement on my part. That, that's just historically what was happening. There was a reason. The reason was that when the Romans went into um, a city or a country and conquered that country, they forced that country then to adopt their gods, to, to adopt the Roman gods, and to start worshiping all of the Roman gods. And as you know, there was a ton of them, right? And so everywhere they went and conquered, they would put up their idols, and, their, and they also worshipped Caesar, and so there was a lot of Caesar worship going on, and they required people to, to do that everywhere they went. When they get to Judea and, 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 and take up residence there and start you know, forcing themselves on the Jewish people, uh, they bit off more than they could chew with the Jewish people, because the Jewish people who were called to worship one God and one alone weren't having any of it. In fact, they put themselves, you know, the, the Romans would come in and, and threaten to brutalize them if you don't start worshiping our gods. And the Jews would put themselves in the path just by the masses and say, we're just going to stand here, go ahead and kill us all. Because we're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. And so after time and time and time and lots and lots of crucifixions to try to prove their point, finally the Romans relented and said, 
you know, they, they kind of had a meeting with the, with the Jewish priests, and the Jewish priest said, here's the deal, we're never going to worship your gods. We're never going to worship Caesar as a god. This is what we will do. We'll pray to our god for Caesar. And, and so the Romans finally relented, and they were like, okay, close enough. <laughs> close enough, we'll go with that, right? So they gave this special dispensation to, to the Jewish people that they didn't have to worship the other gods, but it was special, and it was precarious, and they didn't really like it, and that, you know, it, was always, it was always on shaky ground, that agreement. And so when you have a lot of... Uh, uh, um, when, the, when Christianity started rising, it became known as just some sort of off, offshoot of Judaism. It was like, you know, Judaism light or something, right? You know, and so, so but they were claiming a new king, uh, a, another son of God. They were claiming all of this stuff. And so the Jews started getting nervous. They were like, they're going to screw up our arrangement if they are associated with us. We have to make sure people know they are not us. And so they, in every city, Paul would go and plant a church. The Jews would just come and throw the Christians under the bus and go, no, 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 they're not us. They're doing this horrible thing. They're claiming that's not us. That's not us. We're still praying for Caesar. We appreciate the arrangement. Those guys are, are and they literally use the words that we're going to see here in, in, eventually in this letter. Uh, they're turning the world upside down is the words that they would use. They're turning the world upside down. And, and, and so they, they wanted to distance themselves. So, you know, they had good reason to do that in their mind. But Paul, you know, as that persecution set in, like the video said, they had to flee. They had to get out of town just when things were going good. But they had done such great work there already that the, the small church that they had established, it was solid. It was moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. It was faithful already, even under persecution. They were losing relationships with their family members. They were losing their livelihoods. They were be, being beaten and jailed and, and worse. And, and they were taking it. I mean, they were, like we talked about earlier, they indeed were people of the cross. They got it. They got it. And Paul has to leave this town and flee and, and all that kind of stuff. And so he's worried about them as he goes to different cities. And it's, this is all in Acts chapter 17. You can read it. But, but he's worried about them. So he sends this letter back just to say, man, I love you guys. I can't believe the work that God did while we were there and, 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 and how beautiful your faith was and how, how spirit-filled it was and everything else. It's just amazing to be a part of what you had going on there. And, and I just want you to know I love you and I thank God every day for you. And so, I mean, just, he starts off, he's just gushing about these people because he loves them so much, right? So whenever I, I, I think about this and, and, I, and I read Paul reading these words, I have to be honest with you as, as your pastor this is the way I feel about living hope. This is the way I feel about living hope. Because, uh, and, and this will be the only time this year I'll compare myself to Paul, I promise. Um, um, that, but like Paul, I had been in, I've been in churches um, that don't operate like living hope operates. I've been in churches that were, that were kind of stinkers, that, um, that were all about uh, weird power grabs and um, and just and hateful and dismissive of people and country club atmosphere versus being open to everybody and you know that sort of thing. I've been in those environments. I know what the opposite feels like, and I thank God every day that He called me to live, lead Living Hope. I really do. Uh, I, I, my first impression. I remember. Uh, by the way, uh, 11 years ago last week, I think, was uh, when I came to town, and so th that was a lot of fun. But anyway, so we, we uh, I remember my first Sunday here, one of the biggest impressions, this is back when we were still meeting over at Tremont, one of the things that really stuck in my mind, it's an image I still remember to this day, I can remember exactly where people were standing when I saw this, 
um, but just kind of just kind of standing in the back of the room, kind of taking it all in, just kind of watching you guys be you, right? And uh, I remember a, a cluster of people kind of talking, and somebody was obviously, you know, they were upset, they were crying, they were sharing about some stuff that was going on in their life. And I saw something that I'm ashamed to say I had not seen very often in church life, even though I grew up in church. I saw you guys not look at that person and go, hey, we're going to be praying for you. I saw you guys look at that person and put hands on him and pray for him right then and there. That, that hit me. I mean, that, that's, that image still sticks with me today, that we're not just a church that, that, that kind of uses empty words of, hey, I'll be praying for you. But no, let's stop and let's do it right now. Let's go to the Father right now. And, and, and that, and among other things, like there's just this beautiful spirit in this church. I see amazing spirit-led uh, movements that happen, not just uh, with us as a church, kind of church-wide, but individually in your lives, and, and God is doing amazing things. Um, it's, it's just an incredible blessing to be a part of this church, and, and, and it's evidenced by, by the way you guys live your lives. It's evidenced by the way you speak of your Savior. It's evidenced by the way you speak of your church. It's just it's a beautiful thing to be a part of. And that's kind of what Paul's kind of uh, getting across here. Now, now look at verse 6, what he says. He says, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, and you received the word in much affliction. It's like, he's like, you, you guys were doing your best to, to you know, imitate us in the way that we lived out our faith. And as you were receiving this word, it came with all of this persecution, all of this affliction, and you, you hung in there. He says, uh, you receive the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. That's critical. Remember that, with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. So that, listen to this, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us concerning us, the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. That is amazing. That is amazing. Don't miss what he's saying there. He's like, first of all, you guys suffered amazingly, like, like suffered in ways a lot of churches never have suffered yet and, and, and you took it with joy. Beautiful, beautiful joy. That like, like Satan was throwing everything he could at you. The Roman government is throwing everything he can that they can at you. And you took it as a people of the cross, and you took it with joy. And he said, your example has become such that now when we go to other cities to plant churches and to tell people about Jesus, he's like, all we have to do is start talking about Jesus, and they and they start going. Oh, is this the peop- is this the, the Jesus that those people in Thessalonica worship? Because we've heard about that. We have heard about that. Like we want some of what they got because it's we've heard the stories and it is amazing, amazing. And so he's like he's like you guys are opening up the gospel for us in unreached places just because of the way you have lived your lives serving the Master Jesus Christ. Just beautiful, beautiful image of that. This is one of those churches that has it. They have it. 
have it. Now, you, you know what I'm talking about. Like, if you ever move into a new community or, or a, a new area or whatever, and you start talking church with people in your neighbors or your coworkers or, you know, kids at school or whatever, you start talking church, pretty soon it'll become pretty obvious which churches have it. You, 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 even people at churches that don't have it will start telling you about churches that have it. You know what I'm saying? They will, they'll get on board and they'll start, I almost tipped over. They will, <coughs> they will, they will start telling you about, man, God's doing something amazing over there and all that kind of stuff. And it's just, it, it's like, there's, it's something, it's so hard to put into words. It's not tangible. It's more spiritual. It's, but it's some, there's something about those churches that just have it. And, and here's, if you're looking at it from the outside, looking in. It's really easy to misdefine it. Because what we tend to do is go, well, that big church down the road, man, they got some cool things going on and stuff like that. But, you know, we would too if we had all those people and all that money. You know, so, so we start, you know, a lot of times churches will start being really critical of each other or, or, or almost kind of take away some of the glory that God is pouring into a particular place out of out of a weird jealousy or, or whatever it may be, and they start making up these weird excuses. Well, you know, they water down the gospel and they do this, and so, yeah, we'd be big too if we serve beer, and we, you know, whatever, and so, you know, they say these things, and, 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 and so they do all that kind of stuff, but, but what I've found is I've, as I've kind of, and you've probably found the same thing, when you visit one of those churches that has it, you, you, you find out pretty quickly that it's not about the things that you heard that it was about. You go there and you experience maybe the power of the Holy Spirit. And you experience a joy among the people that go there that is like, wow, why isn't there this joy where I go to church or whatever, you know, whatever. And, and, and you, start, you start to, and it's, it's a beautiful thing to be a part of a church that has it. And that it, if I, if I could define it as closely as I could, and this is going to probably miss the mark, it's just a church full of people who love Jesus and love each other and are following the Holy Spirit the best they can. That's really what it boils down to. And it can be at a big church and it can be at a, at a, at a little church. It doesn't matter. It's a church that gets who they are in Christ, that pursues that um, like unabashedly. They just go after it. And they, 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 they get it. They keep the main thing the main thing, and they, they just, they have it. And that buzz around that church and around the Savior that that church serves begins to spread throughout the community. I can't tell you how many times, I'm going to brag a little bit today, not on me, on you guys. Like, I can't tell you how many times, and you guys could probably say the exact same thing, you're out in the community and somehow church comes up with somebody you, you know, met in the grocery store aisle or whatever, you know, you know, you're, you're some friend you bumped into and, and somehow church comes up and they're like, Hey, where do you go to church? And hey, I'm at living hope. And, and, and I can't tell you how many times I hear, man, I've been hearing good things about that church. I've been hearing really good things about that church. And it's just why, because that buzz, it just leaks. It just automatically leaks. It's like the Holy Spirit. It's, 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 it's what, it's what Paul is describing here. He's like, it's like, man, you guys, the way you've responded to what the Lord has put in front of you, the way you're being led by the Holy Spirit, that is all the witness, all the testimony. Like, like it, that, is, that is it. That's all you need because everywhere we go, 
they've heard of you before we even have a chance to tell the story. They've heard of Jesus and what Jesus is doing because of you all, just living the lives that you probably didn't even know anybody was watching, right? Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. It's awesome to be a part of a church that just gets it, just really gets it. Not perfect, no perfect churches, no perfect people, right? Just a church that just kind of keeps its eyes fixed on Jesus. And when it feels the Holy Spirit nudging it to do something, has the, the gall to go, okay, let's try that, right? And you, you just kind of do that. Sometimes it looks crazy, and sometimes it looks risky, and sometimes it, it's beautiful. Oftentimes it's beautiful. Sometimes it's scary. But that's the, that's, that's, the, I mean, that's the ride that is the Holy Spirit, right? That's the way this looks. I love the way he ends that, that last uh, little sentence there where he says, um, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Here he kind of sums up why it's important that we share our faith. And the reason is, as the old timers used to say, there's a day of reckoning coming. There's a day of reckoning coming. There's a judgment there's going to be a day when God calls it all quits and goes, it's time, for, it's time for the judgment. We've reached that time. We don't know. The Bible says we'll never know. We don't know when that time's going to be, but it's going to be sometime. These guys, I'm sure they thought it was going to be within a few days of their life. They, they, I mean, they were living in the times of Christ, right? They, they, he said, I'm coming back, and they were like, sweet, when? Let me mark it in my day planner, right? And so they thought it was going to be soon, and, and, and here we are 2,000 years later, and, and all we know is, we're told to pray, come Lord quickly. Come Lord quickly. We don't know when it's going to be, but we know one day you're going to call quits to all this. And you're going to set everything right. And in a land where justice does not prevail, justice will finally prevail. And so the reason you can't separate our faith sharing from our faith is because we would be a cruel people to not share our faith. We would be cruel if we weren't sharing our faith. You've got the hope of Jesus Christ and the promise of eternity in his beautiful kingdom, and you're just going to keep that to yourself? That's cruelty. Cruelty. And if we're a people who genuinely love our neighbors and love our communities, that's what we do. So this is the big point I want to make for today. That... Choosing joy in tough times is the best evangelism. Choosing joy, you don't have to go stand on the street corner and scream at people. You don't have to preach a sermon. You don't have to do But choosing joy in the toughest of times is the single best evangelism. Because when you do that, there is nothing more countercultural than you choosing joy in the cruddiest of times of your life. Nothing more countercultural. That stands out. It absolutely stands out. People take notice of that. Like, what in the world? Like, I would be shattered by what this guy is going through. I, I would be absolutely, you know, weeping for months if I was going through what this lady's going through. How is it they're able to smile? How is they're able to go and worship? How is it, you know, when you choosing joy in the middle of those circumstance, like I was talking about, we are a people of the cross. That's what sets us apart from the rest of the world. And as a people of the cross, it's not just enough for us to kind of go, I'm going to take up my cross. You know, Jesus gave me a cross to bear. And it's a big one. And 
It stinks, but I'll get heaven someday. And, you know, it's not, that's not, that's not, we're, we're to embrace that cross with joy. Joy, like this is, when you, I've been reading some of the early church fathers recently, some of the first few hundred years of the church, and, and one of the things that marked out these churches is that they were highly persecuted churches and had a higher level of joy than we've ever dreamed of. Because they got it. They got it. Let me just share a quick story as we, as we dismiss this morning. Uh, earlier this week, uh, I, won't, I won't say names, but earlier this week I was talking to somebody, a living hoper, and um, this person had just, just received news of, of a health scare with a family member. And, um, and I immediately went into comfort mode, right? Trying to, you know, trying to comfort this person through this tough news. And this guy went through the five stages of grief faster than anybody I've ever seen go through them in my life. It just, just it went from a little bit, like, a, like a, a little notice of shock to whoop, the biggest smile I've ever seen on somebody's face. He's like, it's, it's okay. And I was like, yeah, I was like, God's got this. He's like, no, 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 this is going to be good. He was like, I know this sounds dumb, but this actually excites me because God's getting ready to show up in a really big way. And I was just, <laughs> I love you guys so much. <laughs> I love you guys so much. Because you're such an example to me. I mean, who does that? Who does that? Who looks a scary health, you know, diagnosis in the face and just go, ooh, God's getting ready to show up. <laughs> like, who does that? Living hopers do that. Living hopers do that. And it's amazing when it happens. And let's be a people. Whether it's a circumstance that hits our life, whether it's a task that Christ is calling to us to, whether it's whatever, whatever, a change in the political climate, whatever, that we confront it with joy and we confront it with just knowing God's getting ready to show up and do something amazing here. He's getting ready to show up in a big, big way. Amen? Amen. Let's do that. Pray this prayer with me that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, we do pray this morning that your kingdom would come and God, that as members, as citizens of that kingdom, that you would teach us the joy that often escapes us, that you would teach us that no matter what circumstances we're in, whether we have a lot or whether we have a little, whether we get good news or we get bad news, whether we feel close to you or we feel distant, as Paul taught us, we can do all things through Jesus Christ who gives us the strength to handle all things. And so we love you and we thank you for calling us to this big, beautiful life that you've called us to. It is not dull. It is not something that we just, uh, we have to bear it, God. It is a joy to serve you, and it is a joy to serve you with the people in this room, and we just thank you so much for that. We thank you. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who guides us and who leads us, who convicts us, who gives us that joy where there should be none. We thank you for that, and we pray that you would just keep us close, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. And one more thing, God. 
God, if there's anybody in the room right now that's like kicking the tires on this faith and is trying to decide whether or not they want to be a follower of yours or not, God, I pray them that you would give them what your word calls just an unspeakable joy after their experience here today. That, that something that was said or sung or commented on today would just, or a conversation that they had would just stick in their mind all week long. God, just hound them until uh, you get them into submission and then fill them with joy that they weren't expecting because that's what you do. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.